Yes, thanks so much, Sam, for inviting me, and it's great to be here. Um, I just want to say how encouraging it is to see people committed to something like a church plant and doing it and have been doing it for months. It's just it's a shot in the arm. So thank you for your faithfulness um, right here in Liberty Lake. Um, my name is Eric, like Sam mentioned, and uh, we've been youth ministry partners for, man, like four or five years, I think it was. And we both decided, hey, let's plant a church. I'll plant one, you plant one. We'll just do the different areas of Spokane. Um, pretty cool. And so it's, I'm, pri- I'm in the privileged end to be able to watch Sam kind of blaze the trail. And I'm just taking notes saying, that that's great. So um, very grateful to be here and to share. Um, we will be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 5. And I want to start just by sharing a quick story. Um, when I was in high school, I had two really, really close friends, and we did everything together. Uh, it was my senior year, these guys were seniors, and man, we, we went camping together, we would go, um, go to parks together, we would do sports camps together, we did a little bit of everything. And there was one day, uh, or one week, I should say, during the summer of our senior year, we decided, hey, let's go hike the nearby mountain. And I'm from Medford, Oregon, Southern Oregon, way down, like barely, barely across the line from California. And in Southern Oregon, there's one mountain called Mount McLaughlin. And it's about 10,000 feet in elevation. It's not huge, but it's big enough to where you look at it from the valley and you're like, wow, there's a mountain with snow capped. And it's a beautiful mountain. It's perfect distance, perfect, excuse me, elevation to, to hike and do it in a day trip. And so we said, hey, let's go and let's camp the day before. And then we will hike the mountain the next day. So we did that. And we went out into the base of the mountain, found a really nice remote, because three, <laughs> this is what we thought, three seniors in high school, we can't be touched. No one's going to mess with us. Let's just go and camp in the middle of nowhere. That's exactly what we did. And we pitched our camp um, in this little forested area. And as the night was coming on, we had a fire going and the cloud cover completely covered the, the entire sky. No stars, no moon dense cloud cover. It, didn't, it did not rain, but it was amazing because we, we stayed up till about nine o'clock at that night and decided, hey, we got to camp. We're going to hike tomorrow, so let's put out the fire. We put it out. We got in our tents, and for the first time, we turned off all of our lights, and let me tell you, that was the darkest moment, literally, in my entire life. We turn out those lights. There's no, no stars. There's no moon. There's no external light whatsoever. The fire is out. It's completely drowned. Our flashlights are off, and we can't see our hand in front of our face. It was to the point where we actually, three senior boys in high school, we all got a little sheepish and scared. It was very pitiful. We're like, this is, this is dark. Can you see? I got, are you there? Where am I? How are we getting, if we, what happens if we get into trouble? Or we don't even know where we're at. And let me just tell you, that moment, something really hit me for the first time. And it's that I don't like the dark. And as a kid, I didn't like the dark. But I, you know, you kind of get over that. But then all of a sudden, we're sitting in this tent, and I'm thinking, there is absolutely no way to see anything whatsoever around me. And it was debilitating. And it leads to the passage this morning, in that it sets up a massive problem in our world. And the problem in our world is that darkness is all around. 
And I'm talking 24 hours in the day, not just when the sun goes down. Darkness is all around. And if you didn't know this, I'd love to share this with you. The, the biblical story itself from cover to cover begins with light and darkness and ends with light and darkness. In Genesis 1, you guys know it well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And what? Darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness was the condition before God shines upon all of creation. Then it says this, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. But then also at the very back end of the book of or God's word, in Revelation chapter 22, it says this, and this is the condition of all those who are redeemed by the word, um, the blood of Christ that we just celebrated in communion. All those that are his people chosen unto him, this is the condition that it's spoken of. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of sun, for the Lord their God will be their light, and he will, they will reign with him forever and ever. Darkness exists in the beginning, and God plunges in creates this incredible light. And then at the very end of the book, in Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible, what's the condition? We all exist in what? The light of the sun? No. The light of Christ's face. Which leads us to our passage. Let's read together Matthew 5, 13 to 16. It says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to you all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory your Father who is in heaven. Now this is a passage that is all about the church and subsequently all about the church's influence in the world. And Jesus talks about these two mirroring concepts of you are the salt of the earth, which is one image we'll talk about in a second, and you are the light of the world. Another image that we'll also spend some time on. And you put these two images together and you get this picture that the church is something unique that God has created to be in the world for a specific purpose. But first, we have to ask this question once again why is salt and light needed? Because the world is a dark place. Let me give us four quick realities about the darkness of the world. First, Darkness is the condition of the human heart. In Genesis 6-5, we are told right before God floods the whole earth, he tells Noah, the heart of man is only evil continually. That's redundancy for you. Only evil continually. We, we get it. That's the point. I want you to get this. But then also in Romans chapter 1, Paul's talking about the, the world and the godlessness of the world. And he says this, that people who have turned their, their worship away from God and towards all created things, he says this, that their foolish hearts were darkened. 
that darkness is the condition of our hearts. And this means that our hearts will inevitably lead us toward that which it is already predisposed, which is darkness. If our hearts are dark, they will lead us to darkness. Second reality about the darkness of the world is that darkness is debilitating and deadly. Just like us in that tent with no light whatsoever, we can do very little. It's hard for me to find the zipper to zip my sleeping bag up. It's hard for me to find um, my water bottle to take a drink. It's hard for me to get out of the tent. I can't see anything. And this is what darkness does, is it debilitates. It takes that which we were accustomed to and relegates it to nothingness. Those who walk in darkness, they're unable to avoid danger. They're trapped with no hope of rescue. They're ruled by fear and uncertainty. They're desperate for sight, and they're unable to rescue themselves or others. Third reality about darkness is that it stems from godlessness. Culture, war, violence, addiction, rebellion, division, loneliness, pain. These are all extensions of the darkness of the world. And all of this stems out of a godless experience. And we all feel these effects every day. And finally, darkness is only driven away by light. Perhaps the most important of all of these is that you cannot have any rescue from darkness unless somebody comes with a light and says, look, see, there's a way out. Come live. And that is what Jesus does for us. He rescues us from darkness, which is why in this passage, Matthew 5, he looks at his disciples and he says to them, you are the light of the world. See, there's something about the church that Jesus is deeply interested in. There's something about his bride, the one that he has redeemed, that Jesus is incredibly acquainted with. And it's not something that the church in and of itself creates. It's something that it is given that it's called to steward. Because notice, Jesus says in Matthew 5 that you are the light of the world, but we have to ask a question here for a minute. Doesn't Jesus say that he is the light of the world? Aren't these two statements in contradiction? John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So who's the light? Is it us or is it Jesus? I think this is where we can get into a little bit of trouble if we're not careful. To assume that Christ's people, the church, and Christ are different in this sense is to make a tragic mistake. Because what Jesus is saying here, the key to understanding what he means when he says that you are the light of the world is literally caught up in the statement, I am the light of the world. And church, this should be encouraging because here's what it means. It means that if I have an, a candle with no flame and just a wick and it's not lit, and someone says, hey, you, you are the light of that candle, and I hold it up with no flame, it's going to do nothing. But if Jesus comes along and he lights the candle and says, this is my light, and now the church is holding that light, what we have is the same light and here's what's so freeing about this for the church. It's that the church gets the opportunity, the blessing, the privilege 
to display the same light that Jesus himself displayed while on earth. That's what it means. That Christ shone in the darkness when he came, John chapter 1. He came into the darkness and he shone in the darkness. And as he leaves, he gives that very light to the people that he has redeemed. His disciples and now us. We get to continue that light that Jesus himself first shined. Which means that we have four realities with the light of the church from this passage. First, that the church is the light of Christ. We are the light of Christ. Those saved by him, redeemed by him, filled with his spirit. The spirit that is within us shines the same light of the one who gave us life. And again, church, our light is Jesus' light. But secondly, if the church is the light of Christ, there's another statement that Jesus makes here, and here's where he gives this picture. He says this in verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he says another very similar statement in verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Secondly, second reality about the light of the church, the light of the church is distinct and prominent in a dark world. So Jesus says this, church, you are like a city. These are two images, and the images convey a lot of meaning that we can see that's beyond just the words. And so let's try and do that today. I want you to imagine there's a giant hill in the midst of a city, and on that hill there's an there's a even higher city or a little small kingdom or building that's up there, and everyone in the city has to see it when they look around. Now I want you to think in ancient terms for a second. Did Jesus just make up this scenario, or was there a scenario that he had in mind? Well, he's teaching, and he is surely referring to the city of Jerusalem. God's people, Israel, have always been called to be a light to the nations, is what we're told in Isaiah. You will be a light unto the nations, and that's a promise that he gives to them, that he will make them a light, and that they also need to fulfill that identity, and Jesus is using this image to convey that Jerusalem is on a hill, literally on a hill in Jerusalem, that people all around have to go to Jerusalem, they have to see up, and they have to go up to ascend that hill. And he's using this picture to convey that God's people are like a visible city that shines up on a high point, and that the world can't help but see it. So he's speaking of an external witness here. Notice the city, atop a very high, visible, prominent location. And he's drawing attention to the fact that the church has an innate sense of light and prominence that the world will see, whether we like it or not. But then secondly, he gives another image. This one's more of an internal witness. And this one's the lamp on a stand. Notice again, we'll read it in verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And this is a fascinating illustration because it speaks more of an internal witness. Um, I just traveled to Italy this last year and got to 
tour around for 10 days with some friends, and we get to see all these great museums, all these artifacts from history. It was amazing. But there's one thing that we saw in almost every single museum that we went to. And there's these things called candelabrums, which is basically an ancient lampstand. And I want you to imagine, okay, imagine that speaker post that holds up the, the, the speaker, about that height and that kind of width, and it's just straight steel or iron. And at the bottom, there's three feet, and it comes up. And on the top, there's a placeholder for a lamp. It's about this wide, it's like two hands wide. We saw these all over Italy. And I kept noticing on the bottom, it would talk about, it's a candelabrum or a lampstand, if you will, from the Roman period. In other words, what I'm looking at could literally be a lampstand that was in a house when Jesus walked on this earth. You see those things in museums and you just go, wait, what? We have no history here in America. We think we do. It's, it's nothing compared to the rest of the world. And I'm looking at this thing, and all of a sudden I'm just thinking through lampstand, lampstand, lampstand. But here's the whole point of this passage. Here's what Jesus is saying. In his context, in his day, he knew these existed. He was a great teacher, very relevant teacher. He knew the world. And here's where these things would be used. You take a candelabrum, and the average um, house in ancient Rome was like a living room today. That was the only space. It was a big, giant square for the average commoner. And one room, if you will, for the whole family to live in. And they would have one lampstand and one big lamp that they would light. They put oil in, they'd light it. Where do you think you would put that? If you're trying to light the whole house and you have no electricity, where are you going to put that thing? Right in the middle of the room. Put it in the middle. You're going to light the lamp. You're going to put it on top so the light disperses in every corner. So now let's look at this image one more time that we understand the, the cultural context here. He says this, nor do people light a lamp. Now you can understand. You're in your home, right? You're, you're an ancient day Roman and you've got your candelabra, you've got your lamp. And this is what Jesus is saying. No one would light the lamp and then stick it in the corner and say, let's put this basket over it. Does that make more sense now? What? I mean, every person that would have heard this would have been like, of course nobody would do that. And that's where Jesus gets us. Nobody, of course we wouldn't do that, Jesus, but come on. Then he says this, but put it on a, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. But so often, here's the truth about the church, we can be afraid to let Christ shine. And this is why he gives this image of putting it under a basket. He's speaking of this internal witness that each of the individuals in the church, every person here who makes up the church, Every person at all the other churches right now that are listening to other pastors preach and are participating in their worship, all of the individuals that make up a church all have an individual flame, if you will, and that flame that they shine for the glory of Christ comes together to bring about one collective witness for Christ in each local church. And Jesus is speaking and he's giving this image that we would understand that the way we worship as a church the way that Harvest Liberty Lake worships, the way that Sam preaches, the way that people love one another here, serve one another, disciple children, volunteer, clean, set up, tear down, all of the aspects of what makes this church a church. Every aspect is caught up in this image. That inside your house, the church, us, we're going to take who Christ is in our lives and we're going to display him proudly. 
In church, you guys do that every single interaction you have with one another. This is the internal witness that Jesus is talking about. But I want to move to the next point here because it's pretty fascinating what Jesus says. He says this. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Three scripture references that convey the contrast between life in darkness apart from God and life in light with God. Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, ready, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Each and every one of those passages is talking about the people of God. You, here, now. And each one of those passages is talking about how our identity as being saved by Christ, the light of the world, out of darkness. He literally went into the darkness and pulled us out. That's how much he loved us. That he has done that, we now have a completely new identity. We are now children of light. He's pulled us out of darkness. We exist with him in light. So now we ourselves are light. And here's what's so amazing. Jesus says in verse 16, in the same way, Let your light shine. And he's presuming that we have a light, and we do. And it's Jesus. I want you to notice in this passage that every single pronoun is plural. Why does this matter? This means that the grammar down south is actually spot on. You could translate each pronoun here as y'all. And I'm actually going to do this for us because I want us to see the weight of what Jesus is saying. Here's what he says. I'm going to read it in in that grammatical language. Verse 14, y'all are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp put under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let y'all's light shine before others so that they may see y'all's good works and give glory to y'all's Father, who's in heaven. Now, aside from making Jesus sound like he's from Alabama, okay, what do we see here? We see this third point about the light of the church is that the light of the church is a collective flame. This means we cannot fully fulfill the mission to be the light of the world without the local church. And I really believe this. There are a lot of Christians today that for whatever reason have given up on the local church. Hurts, offenses, hypocrisy, impatience. We've all experienced those things. We've probably all been those things. But there are too many Christians today who are running around because of these hurts and saying, I don't need the local church. 
And they have a figurative Zippo lighter and they light it and they think that this is the light that the world needs. It's me. I got it. I can do this on my own. But they forget that their Zippo lighter is going to run out of fuel. That their light is not going to be adequate enough. Maybe for a little while. But instead, how much more bright does the light shine when we put them together as the beloved bride of Christ? Let your light shine individually, singular. Let your singular light shine the way Jesus intended, which is what? With the church. Let y'all's light shine in Liberty Lake. That's literally what Jesus is saying here. In the tabernacle in the Old Testament, I find this astounding. God set up, gave the instructions to set up what's called the tabernacle, which is like a big rectangular tent, and it's kind of like for worship on the go. They would set up this tent, took a lot of time. It's divided into an outer court, into a holy place where a lot of the things were, and then the holy of holies, which would be the only place where only one priest can go into one time a year on the Day of Atonement to make atonement for sins. This is their tent. This is the way God has structured them in, in the Old Testament out of the exodus from Egypt, to worship him. And here's what's so fascinating about this tent. There are three different drapes over the whole tent, which means that it's extremely dark in there. This is intentional by God. No light can get through from the outside. It's completely covered. So if you were to go in in broad daylight in the Middle East, (laughs) in broad daylight, you were to walk into the tabernacle, if it was set up correctly, you would be in pitch darkness. This is very intentional. So how do they see? Well, the Lord set up what's called a lampstand or the menorah. And there's one lampstand that the priest would go and he would light all seven candles of that lampstand before they would do anything in the, in the tabernacle. Now there's a light so they can see, which is great. What here's so amazing about this setup of the tabernacle is blew me away. Every single instruction of setting up the tabernacle is given to God's leaders, the priests and the Levites alone, except for one. The people of Israel, as a, as a general whole, non-Levites, they did not touch anything. It was a very holy, consecrated process. But there's only one thing that the people of Israel are called to do to help set up the tabernacle. And it's this. Exodus twenty-seven twenty. Listen to this. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure, beaten olive oil for the light, that the lamp may regularly be set up to burn. Okay, what does that mean? It means that the whole assembly of God's people had to take olives pure, the best, crush them down, make olive oil, and then give it to the priest to light the lamp with. This is incredible. The whole people of God were responsible for providing the very fuel for the light to worship him in the tabernacle. The Bible is amazing. It just does this. It just connects so perfectly. It's, a, it's unlike any other written artistic thing ever in the history of humanity. It connects perfectly just as God designed. And now here's Jesus in the New Testament, and he's saying this, you whole church, my people, you all are called to provide the light and to shine it for me. The light of the church is a collective flame, which means for us, a major takeaway from this morning, I would hope, is this. 
that we invest in the local church. Trust the leadership here. I've known Sam for a while. He's a great guy. He loves the Lord. And he's surrounded himself with people who are going to hold him accountable, some of which are in this room. Trust your leaders. Serve your fellow member. Look around to one another and say, you are worthy of my love. You are worthy of my care. I want to help you. I want to be your brother or your sister. I want to shine the light of Christ even for you, brother, sister. Participate in the gatherings of the church, whether it be Sunday morning or some other thing that they have scheduled for you. Be a part of that light. Contribute to that light. Submit to one another. When one has brought a complaint or when one has brought a concern, listen in humility and allow that person to speak into your life and be willing to do the same for them. Finally, just be the body. Sam read a passage earlier. I talked about how when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. That's not always true in our context when we don't have good fellowship and when the church doesn't know what it is. But if the church is as God intended, his holy people living holy lives for him and his glory in glorious fellowship and community and friendship, then when one suffers, the body will suffer. It's a great metric to see how well you're doing as a church. But then finally, the fourth reality of the church this morning. And it coincides with our fourth reality of darkness. The purpose of light is to deliver from darkness and unto God. I want you to notice how this passage ends. It's pretty amazing. Here's what Jesus says is the result of all of this. Shine your light for others so that, very important, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus' entire motivation for this is what? That he would look holy as he is? Yes. That his disciples would have an opportunity to share the gospel? Yes. That the church would look radiant and beautiful and just gorgeous on top of that proverbial hill in front of the world? Yes. Those are all true. But what does Jesus tell us is the primary reason he wants them to shine a light in the world. So that they, others, outsiders, may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We shine the light of Christ for the purpose of winning the lost. Because we know that the only light in this world that has the power to save and deliver is the light of Christ, that is the very light that we ought to shine. And here's what's so amazing. I mentioned John 1 earlier. Here's what it says. John 1, 4-5, in him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's your promise. As you are called to shine the light and to go and to be his ambassadors in the world and in the church, here's the promise from Christ that the darkness will not overcome you. That I will triumph over darkness. He already has. He resurrected Darkness thought it won when, he, when Jesus died in that grave, but he resurrected in darkness, lost in that day. But here's what Jesus is saying. 
not only then when I die will I destroy the power of darkness and overcome it, but each and every moment from here on out, darkness has no power. It's over. The church is one. The gospel of Jesus Christ is such that it contains the only pathway to salvation, joy, and fulfillment in all of life. It is the utterly exclusive way to life in God as he has always designed. I want to encourage you, church, to make your lives about Jesus. There is nothing that's worth more than knowing Christ and sharing Christ with each and every person that comes across your way. Every merciful act of kindness toward the lost, every worshipful song sung, every Bible study held, every meal delivered to a member in need, every prayer prayed on behalf of the saints, each and every one of these things and more brightens the flame of the gospel that the church gets to display. But I want to leave us with this. As we do all of these things, Jesus calls them good works that lead to others glorifying God. As we do these things, we have to remember that our holiness could never outshine the holiness of Christ. Meaning this, do good works, but rest in him, knowing that Christ's holiness is both the power of our salvation and the power of our sanctification. That we are regenerated by the work of Christ and the holiness of Christ and not our own. That even in our sanctification, even in our good works that we do in response to the gospel, even that is for the purpose of showing the holiness of Jesus and not myself. I can be so easily tempted to shine my own light and to build up myself as, well, I'm I'm pretty good dude. I've got a lot of holiness in me, and I want others to see that holiness in me instead of, I know Jesus, and I know his holiness, and it is what saved me from death. And so I want to see, I want people to see Christ in me, is what Paul says like four times in Philippians, Christ in me, that they might know Christ in me, that I might be hidden in him. All of these things, Paul's getting to this point of basically saying this, that again, as we started this morning, that the church and Christ are actually of the same entity. They're of God, and they're of his holy, righteous nature. So church, dwell on the holiness of Jesus each day. And watch yourself become more holy as he is holy each day. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I look out on these very beautiful, broad, clean windows, and I just see developments, developments, businesses, houses way back up on the hill. I was looking out earlier when we were doing worship and seeing the same every direction. I don't spend a lot of time in Liberty Lake, but here's one thing I know at Liberty Lake. This place is ripe for the gospel.
when Sam first told me that he wanted to plant a church in Liberty Lake, the only thing I could think of was, man, this place needs Jesus. And by God's grace, he has planted a church here through your efforts as an outpost of light in a world of despair and darkness. That people in this very neighborhood need to hear this message. Not my message, not this sermon, not this manuscript, but they need to hear this message of Jesus Christ. And how is he going to do that? This is what I want to leave us with. How is Christ going to shine in Liberty Lake? It is through his church that you all get to be a part of and get to experience. The local church is Jesus' primary agent in advancing his kingdom and displaying his glory in the world. Let's be a part of that. Commit our lives to his church that we might see others come to know him and glorify our Father. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, I pray that as we go from here, God, that you would encourage and strengthen us. That, Lord, even now as we get to worship again and sing your praise, I pray that that would brighten that flame that's atop that lampstand, Lord. I thank you that this church right here is one of those lampstands that gets to hold up your glorious light. God, I pray that the fellowship experience this morning would go out from here, that people would feel that incredible love from you, and they would take it to others. So God, would you use this church as an outpost of your glory and your work in the world? We love you, Lord. Let me pray. Amen.